Hi, everybody. Welcome to the July 31st, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. We are back in the studio with a few folks here and a few folks joining us remotely. And, of course, we're doing it safely uh, as we get to the table. So thank you so much for joining us. Last week, Governor Jared Polis pushed Denver City government to allow state patrol troopers to enforce local ordinances around the state capitol and the governor's mansion. Days after Denver agreed, the state patrol swept homeless encampments around the capitol. Homeless people and community activists confronted officers with Denver, uh, with Denver School Board member Tay Anderson sustaining a concussion after allegedly being shoved <coughs> by troopers. Pat Calhoun from Westward, we start with you on this one. Uh, I can realize the motivation from a variety of folks of wanting Lincoln Park in front of State Capitol cleared, uh, but it seems to me that it's not as if everyone's going to get them moved to New Hampshire. They're going to go somewhere. So uh, what do you think is going on? Well, I think what's going on is people finally got fed up with them being the homeless encampment, being in Lincoln Park. You might remember last January, Lincoln Park was closed as a public health nuisance, cleaned up, a couple trees were cut down, there was a rat infestation, wasn't healthy and wasn't good for anyone there. In the interim, there have been service providers who have been pushing for a safe camping site. In fact, last year, people were pushing for a safe camping site. Finally, last month, Hancock agreed to let there be a safe camping site. Now they have to find a location for a safe camping site. Would have been great if that location had been set up before they did the sweep of Lincoln Park because you would like people to have a place to go. There was a bus that would have taken people to the shelter, as I understand it. No one got on to go to one of the shelters at National Western or the Denver Coliseum. But also a lot of people have good reasons for not wanting to be inside right now, especially during the COVID pandemic. Um, so Polis did have to give the okay because it's state land to have the city go on and enforce ordinances, not the, anti, not the camping ban, because that is still kind of in abeyance while it's appealed, but there are other ordinances they could use to do it. The real issue is, when is Denver going to find a, pl- a good, solid way to deal with the many people who are homeless for a variety of reasons? The safe camping site is important, and right now the one outside the Denver Coliseum we talked about last week is up in the air because of problems with that. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School had a lot of different uh, legal angles to this, mainly because you had jurisdictions between state property and governors and mayors and, and city ordinances, all this kind of stuff. Uh, was it handled appropriately? Um, I, I think so. The uh, Denver Public Health, uh, Denver Department of Public Health and Environment uh, declared the encampment to be a public health emergency, which seems to be well-based scientifically, uh, including the, the spread of disease, among other things. Um, and as Governor Polis said, the, the capital belongs to all the people, and it's supposed to be a safe place for, for everyone to be able to visit, and, and it was not. And so that, that had to change. The, uh, according to the media reports, uh, when the encampment was closed, the city of Denver showed up with mental health professionals, with buses for people who wanted uh, to go to uh, a homeless shelter. Obviously, most, most people didn't. And, you know, you can't, if somebody wants to live on the street for whatever reason, you, you can't stop them. But on the other hand, you can say you, you can't live, you can't be here uh, where, where you're harming uh, the rights of other people. Natasha Gardner, freelance journalist, uh, joined us remotely. Natasha, uh, I can see the motivation for it. I, I know my personal feelings as you drive by uh, a, 
a homeless encampment in front of the state capitol is uh, an odd sight to say the very least. And there's a variety of adjectives you can throw into there, but it doesn't take away the problem. Did this literally just move the problem down the road? Yes, quite literally, it did exactly that. You know, I'm going to start by um, first hoping that Tay Anderson has a speedy recovery, um, and kudos to him for going to the hospital. Um, we've learned so much more about concussion in the last decade, and it's important for people to seek help in, in those situations. But but on the question of, of homelessness and ho housing vulnerable, um, I'm thinking back to the time when I was reporting in Denver for the 2008 housing crisis. And in the years after that, how many people I spoke to who were surprised or are unaware of what it was like to, to be in a housing vulnerable situation, to be thrown into what can sometimes be a chaotic system of social services. And as they navigated their way through and out of that, how difficult it was for them on a personal standpoint and also for the city. And we're still hearing echoes of that throughout, um, I mean, obviously this week, but last year with the municipal election, it was a huge topic. I'm also looking this week though at the GDP news, I'm looking at unemployment, numbers. And I'm thinking that 2008 might seem like just a, a, a slow landslide compared to what we're going to see in 2020 with housing vulnerable populations in Colorado. So while this, this encampment was a very visible reminder, um, I just want people to take a moment to realize that, that this issue of, of being able to afford a house in Colorado, which was difficult a year ago, is even more so difficult today. Donna Bryson, uh, reporter at Denverite, joins us. It's great to have you on the program, uh, Donna. Thank you for being here. Uh, you write about these topics, and uh, your our eyes and ears in the ground. What are some of the details that we need to know about this situation? Well, coming off of what the last speaker had to say, even before the pandemic, there were many families in Denver and the Denver area who were spending half their income or more on housing. That didn't leave much for anything else, including savings when you hit a crisis like this when people are out of work suddenly because of the pandemic. And I do think we've already seen people losing housing because of the, the economic impact of the pandemic. And we're going to see more. I think there's lots of questions about how many more, whether there will be a landslide of evictions, but we're already seeing people on the streets or in hotels or in their cars as a result of uh, the pandemic's impact on the, on the economy. What I saw when I arrived at uh, Lincoln Park at the beginning of this cleanup, I was surprised as I've seen other cleanups. I've seen cleanups where Denver police are kind of in charge of the law enforcement side of things, and they seem much less, there's a less profile. Uh, when I arrived to see the state troopers there, some of them carrying the kind of instruments you use to fire uh, pepper bullets or rubber bullets, some of them with helmets on as if they were prepared for a riot. And that's usually not what happens in these instances. People do move, but they don't necessarily move to housing for sure. They often just move down the street to another camp. So this is our next topic. Over the, over the weekend, the city of Aurora saw another protest against police brutality. While the protesters were occupying I-225, a person drove a Jeep through the crowd. Attendees assumed this was an attempt to harm them, trying to stop the Jeep. A driver of a pickup truck tried to sideswipe it, and a protester was on foot, fired a gun at it. That protester turned himself in and is now facing four counts of attempted homicide. The driver of the Jeep is not facing any charges currently, but Aurora police say they are still investigating. Dave, we're going to you for uh, this one. Um, a lot of different elements here, and I'm, I guess what uh, is interesting to me is how Mayor Mike Hoffman is going to handle this. This is a, a person who has a congressional uh, representative, represented Aurora for many years, so he knows the community 
but he's also a former Marine, so I don't think he's going to be uh, worried about engaging the problem, but clearly there is a lot going on we need to know about. What do you think? Well, there are some people there who were peaceful protesters on the Elijah McCain case. McCain case. Obviously, now there are there's already been one investigation, and now there are three new investigations, one city, one federal, and one state. So whatever you could hope to accomplish by a protest, other than lynching uh, the accused officers, uh, has already been done, and it seems that the, the better thing would be to wait for the results of the investigations. But if they want to continue protesting, that there, there's no real, real goal they can achieve in, the, in that sense of a peaceful protest. Uh, but, but they can still do it if they want to, obviously, and that's their First Amendment, strong First Amendment right. Within that, separate from them, is a different group of violent criminals, people who broke the windows of the Aurora Courthouse, entered it, started a fire in there. You know, trying to burn down a courthouse is not protest, it's terrorism, and the kind of people who do that are less sophisticated uh, versions of Timothy McVeigh. And likewise, the people who try to take over the public highways, which belong to the public, and prevent people from using the highways. Uh, As they they took it over, they said, we hold this highway, and we're going to hold it until the racist U.S. regime and its occupying forces, as long as they exist, until the empire falls. It is right to rebel, solidarity with with Portland. Those, that privileged and entitled set of folks trying to prevent other people from going to their homes, to their jobs, to hospitals, whatever, is intolerable, and it's time for that to come to an end. And they endanger everyone, including themselves, when they block public highways. Natasha, I think there is a sense out there of a clear difference between a protest um, making a point and rather peacefully, and then seeing the different things that uh, Dave was talking about, specifically when it comes to highways. I think there, it's very hard for any officials to guarantee any sort of safety of anybody. Uh, walking down Lincoln in front of the Capitol is one thing. Walking down I-225 is not, no one should ever say they're walking down I-225 in any, any case, but it's pretty complicated. Uh, what did you take away from the events in Aurora this week? Well, there's so many things to take away. I think the first and foremost is that as as anyone who was probably watching this news come out and, and scrolling through it and just sort of having this moment of all of this is happening in, in our metro, in, in our city. And and well, these actions and these moments are important and we should investigate that news. It's also uh, just hiding sort of um I guess, drawing attention away from the reason why so many protesters who were marching peacefully, who were trying to get a message across, um, their voices are getting lost in sort of the the other conversations that have arisen out of this specific incident. Um, one thing I think that's important to remember, though, is that part of the reason that those protesters are there is because what was happening in Minneapolis was not unique to Minneapolis. It was happening in metros across the country. And I think, too, as we cover and talk about these issues, it's, it's easy to sometimes see it as, well, this is something that happened in Aurora. But this could very easily have happened in Denver. It could have happened in Brighton, Commerce City, any other of the metros, the cities, the the areas that make up our greater um, metro area here in Denver. So I think it's important that as we discuss them, not to lose sight of that um, and to to perhaps reach out to those metros and make sure that there's some solidarity, both in messaging, um, but also in response and, and discussion points. 
And Donna, while you work for uh, Denverite, I'm quite confident that Aurora is still part of your uh, reporting purview since it's a major city right next to Denver. Uh, there's a lot going on here. What do we need to know more about? I'm thinking about what some of the protesters might have been thinking about. In 2015, there was this mass killing at the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. In 2017, there was a white supremacist who killed a protester with his car as a weapon in Charlottesville. And just in Denver in May, we had a uh, protester hit by a car. That's on the minds of the protesters. And I think it, the fact that racist violence is real and deadly is on the minds of people who are out protesting racist violence. Uh, on the other hand, I know that there are people who are hearing about terrorism and hearing, and hearing this kind of rhetoric that vilifies the protesters. So that creates tension on that side, too. And I think that's probably what, what um, was in conflict that day in Aurora. Patty, there's clearly a lot to handle here, and uh, a city council and Mayor Mike Kaufman, fresh on the job, they just got elected a few months ago. Uh, what, do you, what do you think needs to be done next? Well, when we talked to Mike Kaufman right before he was elected, he said he would make the Elijah McLean issue a front-burner issue, and it wasn't really until May when the protest started. We've been writing about Elijah McLean for 10, 10, 11 months, and you haven't seen a lot of changes. When David talked about you know, wait for the wait for the investigations. There's still a culture in Aurora and at the Aurora Police Department that takes selfies at the site where a young man was mortally wounded. You, I don't see a reason for them to stop protesting. What you do would like is to have protests that are effective, that are also safe for the people who aren't protesting and the people who are protesting. And that's not true, not just in Aurora, but in Denver and across the country. It's tough because protesters don't agree with each other any more than, say, we do at this table, except that we agree, say, in free speech. The protesters are going to agree in a lot of things in principle, but still, those are really hard groups to organize. So you hope the law enforcement agencies in the area where people are protesting have good policies and follow them. I mean, we've seen that in Denver, we'd have a federal judge talk about what kind of weapons can be used. You hope that the protesters pay attention to the right people and by right people, I mean the people who know how to organize and know how to p- keep them and the others safe. There was a wall of moms that was out on that Saturday. They were out there all day because they believe they want their children to be safe. And it was really tough when all of a sudden one of the protesters has a gun. And clearly, David's an expert on this, but didn't sound like he really knew what to do with a gun. Colorado Public Radio reported this week that as the state faced COVID-19 testing problems back in March, experts at the state's health department were leaving in large numbers, while Governor Polis turned to a private entrepreneur with no medical or public health experience for help. CPR also reported that county health departments are frustrated by lack of coordination and communication with the state department. Uh, Natasha, this is a big deal. Uh, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback anything almost COVID-related from March, but the whole idea of experts leaving and a, uh, a private partnership without any sort of experience, it, it seems like a bigger deal than just we were wrong about a particular theory in March. What did you take away from this revelation? 
Well, I think first and foremost, this is an excellent example of where local reporting really does matter. And yes, I'm going to jump on that soapbox. I don't think anyone who's watching this program um, has a problem with that. They've already bought into the importance of local media, but it is a good reminder of that's where we can take a moment and take a look back at March, which feels like it was five years ago. Um, take a look back and say, what went well? What didn't go well? What do we need to improve? And I think that's the takeaway from, from this reporting is to almost go through it line by line, identify those lines of miscommunication of which it appears that there are many, figure out the reporting structure, figure out the communication lines that need to be restored and make that happen. And that's kind of the beautiful moment of where reporting um, can really do a public service for a community as well. So I'm hoping that that's a takeaway here is that like every other business and individual that has to, has had to pivot during this unusual time, this agency can do the same and fix some of those problems right away. Donna, your colleagues at CPR reported about this. Uh, what are some of the details that uh, we need to know? Well, first, the names. Uh, ben Mark is the reporter on this, and Chuck Murphy, who's the CPR investigations editor, I think just, just did such an incredible job. They poured over hundreds of emails and text messages, and they listened to recordings of what officials were saying to one another. And they created not only kind of the news of what went wrong and what might be able to be done better in the future, but a real kind of personal sense of these are public servants who were trying to keep their neighbors safe, who were looking for the facts and leadership to make public health decisions. And that's what the story, that's what I took away from the story, that these are real people, not just faceless bureaucrats who are trying to do an important job. Penny, there's a lot of elements here. And again, looking back at March, at any level, uh, it, it, it's easy to look back from July and say, oh, this could have been better. But this brings up a bigger issue between health departments and communication and getting private folks involved. Uh, do you think there is going to be more coming out of this story? Oh, I'm sure there will be more. And you can tell how long. These stories take so long to report and write. You can imagine we can't all agree on what happened at the Aurora protest or at the homeless sweep this week. Imagine how hard it is to get people on the record on a story like this where you are going deep inside a government agency where people left who seemed to be very competent people because they were so frustrated. There's also a lesson here that you might be smart in one area, like the tech guy who came in but didn't really know about testing, but maybe you're not going to be smart in other, other areas. And at some point, you probably should pay attention to the experts who are already in the room. David, this seems to kind of speak to uh, a libertarian streak in Governor Polis. We've talked around this table for years that it, he, he's not 100% uh, typically progressive. He's going to have some libertarian. Did, did some of that come out here in this decision? And do you think it's going to hamper maybe other efforts like this moving forward? No, I mean, I think the decision-making was uh, we, we have uh, with, with Jill Hunsaker-Ryan, the, the head of the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Uh, she's the, the Dick Cheney of Colorado. Uh, Cheney was appointed to, to Bush. Bush appointed Cheney to head the committee to pick who, would, who should Bush pick for vice president. And then turned out Cheney was the best choice. And Jill Hunsaker-Ryan was likewise in charge of picking the head of the Department of Health and the committee found that, that she was the, the best person to do it. Now, in retrospect, was that definitely the correct decision? She was head of public health in Eagle County, which, where she had, I think, 17 employees. And now at the, the Colorado Department, she's got over 1,500. Um, and that, that transition, you know, some people could do it, but that might have been too big a, a, a tough transition for, for almost anyone. 
And at, at her Senate confirmation hearing, there was no inquiry into that kind of management issue. A lot of the questions were like, well, what are you going to do about global warming, um, for which the Colorado can only do at best a tiny fraction of 1% versus like, how are you going to plan for a pandemic, uh, which would have been a more prudent thing to think about. The Colorado Department is like the Federal Centers for Disease Control. It is way too big for its own good, and it has lost sight of its mission because it is so focused these days on performative political correctness and getting involved in all kinds of, of political and cultural issues. And if it were competent at its base function, that would be one thing, but it's not. Colorado is way behind most other states in testing. Governor Polis blames that on the federal government, but all the other 49 states have to deal with the same semi-competent, at best, uh, federal government that Colorado does, and they've managed to get better testing. And communications between the department and the county public health agencies have been terrible. Let's get a quick take on this last one. State Republicans are calling for a special session to address education concerns during COVID-19. Specifically, they are proposing that a per-pupil that per-pupil funding for schools be redirected to families who opt out of sending their children to school in person or whose schools are, quote, deciding not to operate. Governor Polis said that if there was any sign of a proposal that could be passed, he would call a special session. However, Democrats are strongly against the proposal as they see it as the beginning of a private voucher system. Uh, Donna, your quick take on this one. What are some of the uh, facts you think? Is, is, is this simply a uh, dead-on-arrival uh, proposal? I'm, for me, I just want to see how it's going to play out with the politics as a DPS parent. I'm also curious to see how it's going to play out, how schools are going to manage in the coming months. Um, it, it, it was an interesting salvo from Republicans. I'm not sure if it, if it did anything. Do you think it was effective? Well, it probably reminded all of us that we might still be discussing when kids can go back to school in January when the legislature comes back, judging by how DPS just pushed back their schedule. David, a, a good policy move from the party that is clearly in the minority. Well, a good constitutional move because our, our Article 9 of our state constitution says that a uh, thorough and, and uh, uniform and efficient system of public education is a top priority uh, for the governments of Colorado as a whole from, from, from top to bottom. And so the purpose of that is for students to get education. It's not to support unions or some kind of system or anything else. The, the outcome has to be good education. And so if some particular school districts can't or won't provide effective education, then it's only fair to let families have the money uh, to get the education from some provider who can. Natasha, wrap it up for us. Another week, another conversation about education funding. I, I don't think this is the end of that conversation. Um, and, you know, we're in a moment where we need big ideas. So hopefully this isn't the end of ideas that is coming out of the legislature. And I think Patty's right. It'll be continuing into the start of the legislative session. Um, so not necessarily a special session this summer, uh, but definitely a long-term discussion. It is now time for our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. This is an emerging disgrace right now, but for those who follow Instagram or the news that's been in the papers, what went on at the Denver Buffalo Company stores and their allegations that one of the co-owners had uh, sexually assaulted employees, had underage kids at these parties. It is a really grim, grim story that broke on Instagram. And now the Denver police are investigating, Boulder police are investigating, the FBI is involved. It sounds like there are multiple victims. And 
Some of them would say they don't want to go to the Denver police because they're afraid to. I would say anyone who has ever dealt with some of these issues, this is a good group to go to. Talk, it's going to be better. David. The National Basketball Association, with its performative wokeness and its Nike jerseys with all their social justice slogans on them, made by slave labor in China. The NBA is the top, or- one of the, at least one of the top organizations in this country, supporting systemic racism, namely the Han Chinese, Communist Chinese, Chinese parties, oppression, enslavement, and genocide of ethnic minorities in China. And they call themselves woke. They're, the, they're, they're puppets of the slave masters. Natasha. Any attempts to discredit mail in elections? I, I want to, though, switch that a little bit and applaud all the Coloradans I've seen on social media and other venues who are uh, explaining our system, explaining why it works, and, and hopefully restoring some confidence in um, the mail in our absentee ballot system. I'm going to go with the shame on me this week. I did not report that Portland Construction is going to be helping build the new tiny home village that's going to come in going up in full. And I think it's, the Denver Post did report that. I think it's important because uh, Portland is doing it as part of a settlement contract. But they were asked to do something for the public good. Right now, tiny home villages are part of the public good. And time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. August 1st the anniversary of Colorado becoming a state. Happy Colorado Day, and go to historycolorado.org, which has a lot of events, both in person and virtual. David. I was going to say the same thing, so I'll just amplify Patty's point. Read our Constitution, our wonderful Constitution, ratified by the people in 1876. If we obeyed it more often, we'd have less trouble. And folks you know you've got a great Colorado flag tie uh, in, uh, in celebration of that. Natasha. John Lewis, his life, his legacy, the memorials to him that I think gave people a moment to breathe in this pandemic, to think about what this country is, and to focus on voting. Donna. I talked about something that I missed. There's something that uh, Denver citizens might have missed. The Denver City Council voted to waive interest on late property taxes on Monday, and that's going to be important to a lot of people. Before we go tonight, I need to let you know that PBS 12 lost a very good friend this week, Roman Brohl. Roman's entry into the PBS 12 universe began as a host on Teletoons, joined the show in the mid-90s. His on-camera work also included serving as the host of HIP, a magazine series produced by legendary PBS 12 producer Barbara Jabaley, who also created this show. Beginning in the late 90s, Roman could also be seen during our pledge drives. Since he and I started at the station at the same time, we worked a lot of pledge breaks together over the years. And through the 2000s, Roman remained a dedicated volunteer at the station, appearing on many pledge drives and live auctions. Roman was a character, and his personality could often be described as a force of nature. He always brought a certain joie de vivre to the party, and no event was boring if Roman attended. What I will always remember is how Roman approached being on PBS 12. He never took being on camera for granted. It was always important to him to give the audience, all of you, his very best, and to do it by having fun. To approach life with both joy and integrity is a good way to go. He will certainly be missed. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everyone here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.